So at the end of Mass, we'll hear a little bit from one of the seminarians down the road, Vicente, he's with us here right now, actually. But I've often thought, if I could add one thing to the program for priestly formation in the seminary, it would be this. I would have every one of the seminarians spend one year waiting tables. Just waiting tables. Um, and not in a country club, necessarily, although those can be sometimes the most challenging patrons, but just some little dive somewhere. I had that experience myself, not as a seminarian, but Jimmy's Pub, if there are any Southsiders here. Because when you're doing that, it's fascinating what begins to happen. And I've used the skills I learned then all throughout my priesthood, and they've been invaluable. And I don't think when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you should be the servant of all, I don't think he's simply saying, you know, you should humble yourself to do that. It certainly can be humbling at times, but it's a much richer experience than that. For one thing, if you're going to be a server and you're going to be a good server, you've got to be attentive. You've got to notice. And that doesn't come automatically to all of us. And you've got to notice in a helpful way, right? We've all been to places where as soon as you take a sip of water, the guy's there with his bottle and he wants to fill it up. He's there every two minutes. How's everything? How's it going? Comes back two minutes later. Can I get you anything? Yes, some silence. Thank you very much. <laughs> so to be able to get to that point where you really notice what somebody seems to need, and you're not just going in there out of nervousness or trying to look good for yourself, to get a better tip or whatever. A good servant, a good server, really knows how to notice. And he notices what's the need of the people he or she is serving. And then there certainly is a humility that goes with it. And sometimes you just have to put up with nastiness, right? That's just part of life, unfortunately. But I mean more than that. It's the humility, even when things are going well, to just be able to step back. And that isn't necessarily because you feel unworthy or anything like that. That's not good humility. But it's the humility who just says, this isn't about me. If these people are going to enjoy their meal or whatever it is, it's not about my experience. It's about theirs. But of course, the irony is it very much becomes your experience if you're thinking about theirs. The best way to enter into that experience with them is precisely when you are so attentive to where they are and who they are that maybe they're not even aware of it. They just leave thinking, boy, that was a great experience. And you might not even be on their minds explicitly. But a good server is drawn into that in a way that very much engages him or her. And so when I say those skills are ones that have stayed with me throughout priesthood, I really mean it. When Jesus talks about humility, it's not false humility. It's not just, aw, shucks, okay. You probably know, you might know that word humility comes from humus, which just means dirt. And the dirt receives. It receives a lot. Most things that drop out of our hands wind up in the dirt. And that can seem very demeaning or degrading, but think about it in its literalness. Humility, if it's real humility, and it's not shame or embarrassment, real humility fosters receptivity. 
It opens our minds and hearts up to receive. And a good server, although it seems like all he's doing is giving to somebody else, in fact, is a very good receiver. And if you ever meet someone who just seems to be particularly attentive, it's like when you're talking to them, it's as if you're the only person in the world and they're hanging on your every word, not in a fawning sort of way, but in an authentic sort of way. There's a good chance you're talking to an ex-server. At least I wouldn't be surprised. So how do you get there? Yeah, I mean, maybe you really need a job and you sign up and eventually you learn to do that from literally being a waiter. But that's not primarily what this is about. And again, I'd go back to the Gospels. As is almost always the case, when there's this beautiful opportunity laid out, there's also a very pragmatic, rubber-hits-the-road kind of suggestion for how you might get there. And I wish I read the Gospels that way more often. So what's the way to this humility? What's the way to this empathy, this ability to notice the need of another that engages you and draws you in? Well, think about what happens. You get these two little narratives slapped together side by side. The first one is Jesus has just laid out what it means to be his disciple, that he is going to suffer, he is going to die, he's going to be literally murdered and rejected. And they're afraid to ask a question, Mark says. They're afraid to ask. They're confused. They, they don't want to know the answer, perhaps. What will this mean for us? Who knows what's going through their minds? but they're afraid to speak. And because they're afraid to speak at that moment, the moment passes. What would have happened to them in their discipleship if they'd simply hit the pause button and said, Lord, let's unpack this a little bit. What, what are you talking about here? I'm afraid you're scaring me by what you're saying, or I'm confused. This doesn't seem to be who I thought you were. Think of what they could have received if they were attentive enough to be willing to step into that moment. And in the second little scenario, they're arguing amongst themselves who's the greatest. And Jesus, like a good parent, knows exactly what they're talking about. And so he poses the rhetorical question, what were you talking about? And they don't want to answer because they know in their gut that what they were talking about is not what they should have been honoring or valuing. They know that what they were giving their attention to is anything but what Jesus was inviting them to give their attention to. Like a bad waiter, they're paying attention to themselves and not the ones Jesus is calling them to be with. And so he poses the question, he forces the issue, what were you talking about? And the moment is there, not easy by any means, but the moment is there. Yeah, okay, you got us, Jesus. This is what we were talking about. We're not proud of it. But there's a reason why we were talking about it. There's a reason why we are worried about what our place will be. May not be the greatest motivation, but this is what's in our hearts with brutal honesty. Now they're giving themselves a chance to dialogue with Jesus and for him to address, but the fear seals their lips and they cannot speak. So I'd like to suggest that if I or you desire to foster those Christian skills of empathy that evolves hopefully into sympathy, where we can notice the need of the other, not just in a sort of glance, like let me fill up your glass or how's it going so I get a better tip because you think I'm attentive, but in a real authentic way, 
or if we want to have the honest humility that allows the doorway to be open to really hear what the other is thinking, then pay attention not to what you say, but to what you don't say. Look at your most cherished relationships and ask yourself, is there something I need to bring out that I'm not speaking? Maybe out of fear, maybe out of shame or embarrassment. What is it that's sealing my lips? And then pray for the grace. This isn't just human effort. Pray for the grace. Lord, give me the courage. Give me the empathy. Give me the hope to speak that unspoken word. And I dare say we'd all be amazed at how our empathy would increase, how our humility would increase, how we would be much more attentive to the needs of the others in our lives and much more willing to receive from them in return. We may not always associate the two, but the unspoken word is often one of the most deadly things in the spiritual life. Pray for the grace to speak like a good servant.